Hello beautiful people. It's great to be back once again on Photo Country. This episode has taken forever to complete. Things got really busy at work and going back to school means far less time for editing this episode. But here we are and I can't wait to share this conversation with you. I met with Parag Gopal, a photographer who travels between Mumbai and Paris. He's the founder of The Moment, a creative photography studio that specializes in capturing candid elements of any form. There is an interesting quote on his FB page. Photography is not about depth of field, but it's about depth of feeling. Interesting, right? So let's meet Parag Gopal. So thanks for accepting the invite, Parag. You're welcome. Pleasure. How long have you been back in India from Europe? It's just been a month. Great. So I was just looking at your website and I looked at some work that you did when you were in lockdown in Paris. How was that experience? Surreal. I'm someone who likes to walk and go out even if I'm not making photographs. I just love to walk. I mean, on an average I walk up to 10 kilometers a day. So I really just take off and that that time I couldn't do that. So the first two weeks was were really tough. During that time I I actually was a student of photography. So I was pursuing my masters as well. So I spoke to my mentors. They said, "Okay, you can't do what you used to do. So take some time off, slow down. Look at how the light is behaving. Discover your neighborhood whenever you can go out." and whenever you do step out if you feel like just walk with your camera don't shoot just walk along and see how's how's the space how are the people how's the air how's the mood how are the sounds and pay attention to the things that you usually wouldn't so i did that and it it just spoke to me in a way that an environment has never before and there was an element of fear uncertainty but at the same time i kind of realized that oh this might be the hopefully the only period that we are getting to experience in this era in in this lifetime so i not documented so i just went out and whenever i could go out for the groceries or for a walk i took my camera along and made some photographs and yeah it's turned into a very interesting series so i have a record i have a document of what my neighborhood in paris looked like during the pandemic so let's talk about your move to paris so mm-hmm. why paris and why this particular school and i assume that you were shooting before you actually made the decision to study yes that's right just to give you a quick recap of the photographic journey i started when i was doing my undergrad in mumbai so this would be about 2008 2009 and basically i started assisting a couple of seniors from my college that's how i just got interested in it but surprisingly i i started this journey with fashion photography where i was assisting my seniors for their shoots and you know their editorial campaigns but i was not really keen on doing fashion because i felt that there were too many heads involved there's an agency there's a stylist there's a makeup artist there's the model and i felt that for me it was more like a solo pursuit 
at least at that time. And then I just picked up the camera, which was like a simple point and shoot family camera, which I still work on an analog point and shoot camera. And then I just started from there, just making photographs. And at that time, you know, films were much cheaper. You could get like 150, 125 rupees a roll. And that's how I started. And then along with my studies, I continued with photography. So 2010, I moved to Pune to pursue my MBA in advertising. And even in Pune, I was photographing daily life in the city, on my campus. And in 2011, a friend asked me to do some couple portraits for her. She was going to have a very simple court marriage, but she wanted some portraits of her and her to-be husband. And I did these portraits and that was a very interesting combination because it was a Japanese girl getting married to a Keralite guy. That was a very good portrait session that I had with them in Mumbai. I remember it was like a beautiful August monsoon day and we shot in bits and pieces because of the rain but the clouds were wonderful. That shoot went viral on the internet because Wedding Sutra, it's one of the leading wedding e-magazines in India. The founder of this company was a visiting faculty at my school in Sibasis. And he said, you know what, we'll feature it on Wedding Sutra. And that's how it started. And even before I graduated, I started getting calls from couples saying that, hey, listen, we want to do the shoot. And that's how I got into wedding photography. So from 2011 till 2019, I did a lot of weddings. Like we shot close to 150 plus weddings in eight years. Pan-India in Thailand, Bali, Sri Lanka, Seychelles. And then like around 2017, end 2018, I was starting to get saturated with the same template of work. And I got tagged, I got labeled as a wedding photographer since that was the stuff that I was doing most of the time. But I was open to other work as well. I was like, okay, now I had the seven year itch, like they call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and from there I was like, you know, I started looking for schools. So... New York and Paris were, were two options first. New York would have been another very commercial place to be in photography. So I wanted to be away from the business of photography because I turned by then into kind of a businessman. Because it was more about client management, people management, ego management, which run high in big weddings in India. So it was more about satisfying and keeping the client happy rather than working into something new. Everyone wanted the same kind of pictures that, you know, yeah, for them, for the clients, for the brides and the grooms, they were new pictures. But for me, I wanted to do something different and I didn't really get that room. So yeah, that's how I started looking for a different environment. Europe and US, I had never been there. So I was like, okay, Paris, it's going to be a big risk because I don't speak a word of French. I didn't back then. Okay, let's see what happens. So I moved to Paris. I chose this school particularly because of its network. I wanted to pursue long-term documentary projects. And my school, uh, Speos, in Paris, has a collaboration with Magnum Photos. So we had the network. We had the ecosystem in Paris to connect with amazing photographers and work of the photographers who are not alive anymore because we had access to the Magnum archives. 
So that was fabulous. Just to be in that environment and atmosphere of photography for two years, it was fantastic. Like day in, day out, we were always consuming photography in some form or the other. Even, even during the lockdown, huh? even during the lockdown. I mean, the exchange was very organic. There was nothing held back. We had workshops with photographers like Harry Druyat, Sebastian Salgado, Jane Evelyn Atwood, Sarah Moon. And it was fantastic because we could ask them questions that we have realistically, not just, you know, technically. So that helped. You mentioned that your entire workflow changed after you moved to Paris. That's right. So firstly, in starting from 2011 onwards, it was my personal work. I was doing a bit on analog, but 2011 onwards, I was just working on the digital medium. Indian weddings are such a big affair and there's so much data that there's no way I could shoot on analog. It was just absolutely impractical. So from 2011, it was just about handling data, taking backups, processing, cataloging it on Lightroom, then doing the batch edits, then working on individual images on Photoshop, exporting them to another hard drive, and then sending it to a client, delivering it via a V-transfer or a Dropbox or Google Drive, or you ship them a pen drive. And like probably two out of 10 clients after a lot of insistence, would go for prints or a photo book. And I kind of realized that there's nothing out in the physical world. Whereas when I go through my childhood pictures, I'm flipping through album, even if it's four by six prints, simple photocopy. It, it was interesting to just flip through that and see the timeline. I was like, okay, that's something that's what's missing. So 2016, I picked up the film camera again. And I actually, this time I started processing my own film. So I sourced the chemicals and kind of made a mess in my bathroom. So, you know, it was stinking always with the fixer smell, etc. My family was fed up. So, <laughs> so then I moved this setup to a small studio where I was working from. In India, the, the ecosystem of supply was a problem. So I wouldn't get the stuff that I needed. There was, there's always the humidity issue. So I was still working slowly. And then when I got a chance to move to France, I, I, I took my digital gear along. By then I had, on analog, I had started shooting from it. And I went there and I've, I found everything that I needed. So I was like, okay, I, I am in a place where everything is available. So why not just shoot on film camera? So slowly I started doing even my school assignments on film. It forced me to think, it, it built a discipline where I was really thinking about before pressing the shutter and I was not leaving anything to chance. That, that really helped me in kind of understanding or anticipating where my next moment is coming from, especially if I'm in an environment where the things are not in my control, where what's going to happen in the next five seconds is not in my control. When I was doing portraits, it was simpler. Of course, I could take my time. I could tell the subjects to relax. But for work that I was doing on streets or, for example, the demonstrations and protests in Paris, I, I kind of learned how to anticipate it well. And a lot of it is attributed even to my wedding photography background. So I developed this speed of shooting from weddings. I get that from the Indian weddings because you have to be so fast, so quick. I could use that sense of observation and speed and movement 
the only thing that I had to work on was to get my focus because I was shooting manual right. completely. So on a Pentax 67 with a 92.8 with a big focus throw, I had to really understand my distance. I had to understand how the plane of fields work at f11, f8. And that's where I kind of started practicing zone focusing and started understanding zones much better because of that. Once that's done, it's all about composition and exposure. So 2019 onwards, I moved slowly entirely towards shooting on analog. So now since it's been three years that in fact, I don't even own a digital camera anymore. It's just the iPhone. And yeah, so everything's on film and primarily on medium format. But were you like a street photographer even before you shifted to Paris? I mean, I picked up the camera because I wanted to photograph life around me. Okay. And, and you see even someone... As, as huge as a Gary Vinogrand saying mm. that the street photography, it's a term that is so much overused. Abused as well. <laughs> yeah, abused. Yeah, abused as well. And everything that is outside your house turns into street photography. If I go by the trending hashtags, yeah, I would be a street photographer. But it's more about just observing the daily moments of these fragments that are around me. And I call these fragments because they, they are often a result of something that you do without realizing. And they're just falling there and people are not realizing and trying to pick them up. Commercially, what's your focus now? What kind of work are you doing? I still do weddings, but now I'm taking this very slowly. Purely because even in, in the weddings that I do in France, I shoot them on analog media. So first, when I meet them and I tell the client, hey, listen, this is what I'm doing. For a moment, they take a bit of time to process it. <laughs> okay, that, okay, how are you going to do that? 10 frames, 36 frames, and how are you going to... And, and then I, I show them the work that I've done. I'm like, listen, I, I can do this. I believe and I know that I can do this. It's you who need to put your trust. So we start with portrait sessions and, you know, I have weddings in, in France on medium format films. So I have two cameras and a backup 35mm camera just in case. I've never needed to use that. I keep it handy. I usually have one assistant to kind of just help me with changing the films and keeping the films in order. I'm going very slow with the wedding part now. The other vertical of commercial photography would be portraits. So I do a lot of portraits in France, family, individuals, couples. And another domain that I'm kind of taking my baby steps in it is using photography for therapy. So I'm working with people who have issues with their image, their body, self-acceptance and low self-esteem. Just in order to help them elevate these uh, traits. So it's something that I'm working with, you know, it's just something very new to it. I've just worked with two people on that. But how's it working across two continents? I'm trying to establish myself in Paris. Bombay is home. So I know that it's a place where I have my network, I have my clients, and I can change domains now over here. In Paris, this whole pandemic has complicated things a lot. But I think there's a big score for non-European photographer to go to Europe and make work, provided they don't get sucked into the race in France or in Europe. You know, because Paris has probably the, the most number of photographers in Europe. You know, everyone from France, outside countries and the, the ex-French colonies, they're all coming and making work in France. 
So if I am chasing a story, like people have already, photographers I know have already started working on stories that are related to the 2024 Paris Olympics. Now, if I am going to try and wiggle my way through it to get a story, firstly, I won't have that access, okay? Because my French is not good enough to get an, gain an access. The other thing is I, I am not a French citizen. So I'm a foreigner and that comes, that would definitely come with certain amount of limitations. So if I'm chasing that, which I tried initially just to understand how it would work, it wouldn't fly for me. For someone else, it could, and they might have another perspective, but, but for me, it didn't. So what I'm trying to do is blend both my influences and create the work in my environment that I am born and raised and take those stories to France. And I have received a good response for the work that I have made in Asia, in India, versus the work that I have made in Paris. Talk about the long form uh, projects that you're working on. Do you have anything that's going on at the moment and how long do these projects last? It's tough to kind of define at this stage that at point I will put a full stop to it. But I have put a lot of commas till now. <laughs> and one of the projects, it's, it's there on my website, it's there on the homepage, which I called Fragments of a Life I Couldn't Miss. And it started in 2016 when I got back seriously to analog photography. And it's basically this... What I would say, it's my daily journal because it's all on 35mm and I use my 35mm camera as a journal. So I go out, I'm always with either a small point and shoot camera or an SLR. And wherever I'm going, even if I'm going to buy a bread, I would carry it. That's what I've been kind of just putting together and collecting images from life around me. I think I would like to at least give it a decade. I would like to give it a decade to, to make images and then just make small prints out of it, six by four simple copies, throw them on the floor and let them take their own form rather than me giving them a form because it's the city is changing so much. I've come here after almost two, two and a half years. And it's changing so much. And yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Just responding to the change by making photographs. And then years down the line, I'll let them take their own shape. And rather than defining that, okay, I want to photograph the changing landscape or the changing city or the stress and the anxiety, I'm just documenting it all for now. The process of education in, in France, I'm mm -hmm. really curious, did you find it challenging because growing up in an Indian environment, the pedagogy is probably different. Yeah. How was that going through the whole school in Paris? Was it different? This was my first formal training in photography. Before this, it was, I was self-taught. Right. So, or while working on learning on the job. The challenge for me was to unlearn the things that I've been doing for such a long time. So unlearning that was quite a process for me. So to go through basics 
like shutter speed aperture iso and just doing the abc's again of a language that i already know initially it was difficult but i understood that okay it's a part of the process and i have to put those 3 months into that right so i would say like when you're changing an environment or when and i think this would be true for anyone who's worked in a field or in a specific domain and then they want to change or slightly deviate from it it's good to go back to the ABCs and just see what comes out of it. And one more thing I'd like to kind of add to this is the environment really plays a big role around. Like in Bombay, I could, I was in the middle of things. And I'm talking purely from a street photography point of view over here. I was in the middle of things. I could speak to a taxi wala, a rickshaw wala. I could have a cup of tea with them and talk understand, ask them questions, make their pictures. So I was close. In France, because of the cultural and difference and the language barrier, I was forced to keep a physical distance. So this resulted in me also changing the distance that I work with, which in photography would translate into a focal length. So right. that really was an interesting change because I'm used to someone who's okay that if I'm taking a picture of someone, I would take that and probably have a conversation with them later. In France, that was not happening. So that distance forced me to change the style. And now what I'm also doing is that I just go, I just put my work from the streets of Bombay versus the streets of Paris and I kind of just compare them. Okay, that mm. how much the distance is, how it's affecting my style, how much of environment that I'm getting with. I'm enjoying more working with 35. I recently, about four or five months back, I discovered the 85mm for streets, which is usually considered as a classic portrait lens. But I'm enjoying doing that street work with the 85mm because, you know, of that outsider's perspective that I have. So I kind of started enjoying that being the foreigner and I'm liking that. I'm enjoying that. So do you think Asian photographers, Asian creatives are gaining acceptance in, in EU? They are. It's just that you need, you can be from anywhere, but in a place like Europe, especially if you're talking about France, Germany and the Netherlands and the UK. You have to be damn good. You have to be really good. And the way photography is consumed or the way generally art is consumed, there is a level of visual literacy and that exists over there because it's a part of the school curriculum, museum visits, gallery visits. And so many times I've gone to the Louvre and I've seen bunches and bunches of students coming with their schools. So they are introduced to visual literacy from a very early age. Okay, so it's even if someone who is working in a daily job, like a bank job, a government job, they will take their lunch break and go to a gallery visit or an exhibition visit. They won't buy a Cartier-Bresson print or a William Klein print, but they will buy the work of probably a lesser known photographer, even if it's a small 8 by 10 size print and put it on their wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, there right. is. So there is that interest across classes, across economic sections. And it is followed very actively. So kind of art appreciation is, is very, part of very, uh, their day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Like growing up in Bombay, I could, re I could relate it to cricket. That's interesting. Yeah. From your work, I could see that you follow Henri Cartier-Brazon 
is he one of your inspirations who is katyabrasan in not an inspiration for <laughs> i see moment yeah, yeah it is but at the same time i i try to it's is fantastic when you can produce something like that and when someone says that but i really dig on the work of robert dwano or for that matter willy ronis the way he photographed a, a part of paris that doesn't exist anymore it's fantastic of course this big influence of Cartier-Bresson the everyone who picks up a camera but it's good to look at the work of the lesser known photographers and, and the lost photographers and it's fantastic and I, I got to discover that a lot through Paris. So is there any contemporary photographers that you follow? Yes actually I mean in terms of long-term documentary projects I really like the work of Rob Hornstra he's a really good storyteller in terms of and, and his approach is very research-based I like the work of Alex Soth I'm really discovering differently the work of this Iranian photographer called Abbas who was a magnum photographer then the work of Ara Guler, Turkish photographer, is called The Eye of Turkey. So just to close off this conversation, what next as a photographer? So what I'm trying to right now figure out is, yes, I'm making work. I'm taking photographs of daily life. I am working for clients and I'm making some money from it. What I'm trying to crack is right now is this idea of how would my photographs come out in the physical world beyond the classic way of a print or a photo book. So, for example, that's the way, right? Every photographer would go for an exhibition, gallery, sell prints, self-published book. And then sell those. How else can these bits of two dimensions come out in the physical world? So that's something that I'm trying to figure out. So even if I'm making print, in what mm. form can people consume it? Apart from a print and a book. That is okay. there. I've not cracked it, but I'm just experimenting with different mediums, different surfaces. Maybe an NFT. <laughs> Yeah, very much, but yeah, then again, you get into the, the zeros and ones space. But yeah, that's that's a good model, especially it's a very much uh, something that is going to take over. It's already kind of taking over in the art space, right? Yep. But I need to study more about that. But for me, it's very important to have a tangible form to a photograph. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks a lot for chatting with me. It was great fun. Fantastic talking to you. Thanks, Parag. It was lovely chatting with you. Thank you once again for coming on the show. You can check out his work on Instagram. His handle is themoment.pg. So go give him a follow and look at all the wonderful pictures he has taken across Paris and Mumbai. So friends, as always, thanks for tuning in. I enjoy putting together this podcast for you. I hope you like listening to it too. Please do share this podcast with someone who loves photography like we do. See you in the next episode. Till then, be safe and keep clicking.